0: Hey Braylon, where do you have to go when you go in timeout? In the quarter. And so, where do you get your whoopins?
1: Back by the woodpile.
0: I'm spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Welcome to another edition of Trying to Hurt Cats, the philosophical podcast where we throw anonymous quotes at anonymous folks and look to see what ends up being coughed up. And as always, at the end of the podcast, I will reveal the source of the quotes. All right, first quote. A man who lost his axe suspected his neighbor's son of stealing it. He watched the way the boy walked, just like a thief. He watched the boy's expressions, just like a thief. And the way he talked, spot on like a thief. Without a doubt, the man was certain the boy was the thief. But later, the man found his axe had just been misplaced by himself. And after that, The boy didn't appear to walk, express himself, or talk like a thief anymore.
2: I think fundamentally, some people, myself, tend to approach things from a very logical, analytical, methodical point of view. Other people tend to approach things from a very emotional point of view. Mm -hmm. And so, the emotional people will be more inclined to make a snap judgment and refuse to be convinced to change their point of view even when proven to be wrong whereas someone who is more detached can consider multiple points of view and based on the evidence arrive at a conclusion that they have not already predetermined.
0: Have you ever made a a judgment based on emotion? I know it's not your nature generally but have you had your moments?
2: If I have I don't remember. Is there anything you think you're irrational on?
0: It doesn't mean that you had to necessarily be wrong. It's just something that you may be emotional about that, kind of find out you were right on anyway. But
2: yes, I think Matt Smith is without a doubt the best doctor.
0: Who's Matt Smith? Doctor oh, number eleven, Doctor Who. <laughs> okay, sorry. So this is something you're very emotionally uh, attached to, and no matter if I logically explain why Tom Baker was the superior doctor, I don't would...
2: think that's possible. <laughs>
0: You sound just like the, the opposition, the, the people who just are set in their ways.
2: No, uh, as I told you, it's quite an irrational belief. <laughs> okay. It's all right. you, you're free in this country to hold that belief, uh-huh. however wrong it may be.
0: Uh-huh. Again, a man who lost his axe suspected his neighbor's son of stealing it. He watched the way the boy walked just like a thief. He watched the boy's expressions, just like a thief. And the way he talked, spot on like a thief. Without a doubt, the man was certain the boy was the thief. But later, the man found his axe had just been misplaced by himself. And after that, the boy didn't appear to walk, express himself, or talk like a thief anymore.
3: We always, I feel like everyone does that. And... In the sense of losing your item or whatever that's yours, and we can't find it, and we can't find it, and eventually it's like, somebody must have taken it. (laughs) You're looking at everybody. You're like, oh, that guy took it, or that girl took it, or when she came to my house, she probably took it, you know? And it's like, we always do that, and then, of course, we've misplaced it, Mm -hmm. and that's what happened. And then you feel like an idiot, Mm -hmm. because you're like, why did I accuse all these people?
0: Do you ever get a point? I feel like an idiot so many times it gets to where, you like, when you do lose something, you're like, "Okay, I'm not gonna suspect my husband or or whoever from stealing it."
1: I just assume now if it is something that I own that is like gone, I have
0: done something to lose it. that mm-hmm. because you know, that's usually the case. Yes,
3: huh. he misplaces a lot of every. Nothing has a place where yeah. it lives, nothing and I was place. raised to like put things in their proper place because they had a spot and now that i live with him i'm more of like oh i'll just put the shoes here you know
1: but i feel like that quote is a bit heavier than just like losing my hat (laughs) right Uh, the the first thing that comes to my mind is like racism yep it's like you
0: know well we just got our house uh, broken
3: into so we feel like everyone is well
1: i mean that was like heavy before that
0: I didn't think, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to read that quote, I didn't even think
1: about that. No, it has, no, it has, <laughs> that is... When, Damn you, Mr. Uh, Snarker-Pnugin, think about our feelings. Yeah, but I'm I mean, kidding. the... Three our, times our, being broken into two time, When When Emily told me that the house got broken into the first time, the person that popped into my mind is a neighbor.
3: It's a white kid,
0: yeah.
1: And is I, he kind of
0: in trouble a yeah. or?
1: He's just odd. He's just a weird he's just, kid. Just, he's just a weird kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just, just an odd The way he kid. behaves, the cops he's show always, up at their
3: house, like... Twice He's a always month. a
1: loner, and like when the cops did showed up, they they like, talked about him. Yeah, they and talked, talked so about him because they knew his family.
0: So he had about. a little bit of a cause to. Oh
3: well, yeah. Like you just.
1: Well, hey, look I never thought that like that would.
3: I didn't that he think he would do
1: it, but right. like that was the first person I thought of. It wasn't him. It was.
3: It was a kid. we only know that because we went to court. Yeah,
1: I feel like that quote is just something that we automatically assume something. And we assume something for a reason, and I don't know if it's sociological or biological or whatever, Uh, but we go with it, and a lot of times it is not right. So we're proven wrong. And if everyone would just chill out, like maybe it would just be okay.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Profiling. Not necessarily racial profiling, but like criminal profiling. Right. When there is a, a serial killer almost all profilers will tell you that it's more than likely, like, they have a percentage thing that it's a white male. Yeah. You know, and that's just the way because it is. we can get away with anything. <laughs> or something. Apparently. For some reason, it's just, it's not a black thing, it's not an Asian thing. It, it does happen on occasion, but for some reason, we own that one, you know. And, uh, so that, they, they, you know, they don't have a lot of time, resources, and that's, they gotta look at those guys first, just like how other particular crimes or other racial groups, yeah. they've seen to pop-up. So, I mean, I don't think it's.
3: I mean, I think there's a method to the madness. There's some logic
0: behind it while you might think that, but obviously, you have to to arrest me. I just
3: think, especially in the city, I really don't trust anyone. So everyone's out to get me at the end of the day.
0: Again? A man who lost his axe suspected his neighbor's son of stealing it. He watched the way the boy walked, just like a thief. He watched the boy's expressions, just like a thief. And the way he talked, spot on like a thief. Without a doubt, the man was certain the boy was the thief. But later the man found his axe had just been misplaced by himself. And after that, the boy didn't appear to walk, express himself, or talk like a thief anymore.
4: It kind of feeds into the culture that we live in today in America. Like, oh, it's a young black kid. He's got to be up to no good. But, oh, really? All little black boys are not up to no good. They're not all waiting to rob you or uh-huh. take something from you. I'm like, I've got three brothers. One's a jackass and never does anything right. But the other two, they both have master's <laughs> degrees. They're both very smart. They're both highly educated. And they never think about robbing anybody or stealing anything and watching the riots and things that are going on in Baltimore now. The first thing my twin said to me, he said to me, he's like, if that was somebody in our family, he's like, you know, I would grab them and be like, stop acting a plum fool. You are tearing up your own. Like, you can be angry. You cannot act out that way because you're just feeding into the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And you're making yourself look like a hooligan. And they go, well, they all act that way. No, they all don't act that way. Your neighborhood is what built you, what molded you. Mm-hmm. They didn't do anything to you. They didn't say, hey cops, go shoot that kid. Hey cop, go break that kid's neck. No, they had nothing to do with that. They're there, they're supporting you, they're supporting your family. Like the CVS they set on fire. I'm like, why would you do that? Your mom, your grandma, your grandpa, they probably get their medicine there. Right. Now what are they gonna do? Right. My granddaddy went up until he died and me and Mark were dating before my grandfather died. He was always against the colors mixing and we were colored and they were whites. And even if somebody Like we had a guy that lived a couple of houses down He was just racist as Dog <laughs> But <laughs> he really 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 was And my granddaddy would always be like Well he's not that bad he, he lets that color boy Cut his grass Of course he lets the color boy cut his grass But he gives him a hard time about it And he doesn't want to pay him what he should be paid to do it The, the guy
0: was a white guy right? Yeah. The, how, how did his racism like
4: manifest okay besides my grandfather he didn't talk to anybody but and i grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood although they were there were houses and there was some white folk to live in and out mm-hmm. but and it wasn't really a poor neighborhood i would say it was like a middle class neighborhood but he was poor white trash mm-hmm. and he didn't like any especially like young black kids oh my god if we got in his yard he would freak out he would call the cops i mean he was the, He was just mean, he was nasty for no reason. And he would sling that N word like nobody's business. Okay. (laughs) Like nobody's business. But he would sit in the alley with my grandfather and drink beer. And talk about the whites and the coast because they worked together at a paper company. It was surreal when you think about it now. It's like he didn't like anybody else in the neighborhood but my granddaddy. And the little boy that would cut his grass. Oh my God, he gave that boy so much. It reminds me of
0: like Something happened to me one time. My own record shop with some black folks, and they were they were talking about white people. Mm-hmm. And one of them, like, all of a sudden, like, kind of tapped the other one, like, and uh, I guess I forgot I was there. Exactly. And they and they said, well you're a good one." Exactly. But <laughs> so I've heard I've heard I've heard white racists say that too. Oh, well, yeah. you know that guy's a good one. Exactly, you know? and it's
4: like really. So it's,
0: it's sometimes it's, not, it's well, it's not so black and white. It's, no. a, it's a little complicated.
4: Exactly, it's a lot complicated. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> wow. that's kind of crazy in your own store
0: I I cherish that moment because I I finally got to hear someone kind of uncensored yeah and and I didn't I wasn't I wasn't really offended you know but uh on the flip side of that there was a a white guy uh, he made a disparaging comment about there was you know no good black people out there and they're all worthless (laughs) and uh and his girlfriend was mortified and, and embarrassed, oh. and, and she was white, but she, yeah. she came back later and apologized and, and tried to explain why he thought that. Like, he grew up in a, uh, well, he was, I think he was bust, too, in yeah. black school, and was picked on a lot and stuff, but then, like, a year later, she told me that he had softened quite a bit, and I, I don't know what so, changed yeah. his mind, but people change Exactly. Again, a man who lost his axe suspected his neighbor's son of stealing it. He watched the way the boy walked, just like a thief. He watched the boy's expressions, just like a thief. And the way he talked, spot on like a thief. Without a doubt, the man was certain the boy was the thief. But later the man found his axe had just been misplaced by himself. And after that, the boy didn't appear to walk, express himself, or talk like a thief anymore.
5: Yeah, we do that all the time oh my goodness we have such preconceived notions and we have such a need for closure we cannot have open mystery we can't wonder where things are who's who's doing what that we can't be in the place of i don't know and so we we assume and it gives us some sense of control and i know that when we're when we already have a preconceived notion of the answer uh, there are lots of good research that shows we actually only then look for clues that will corroborate already our hypothesis, so mm-hmm. we f- we don't pick up any other information. Mm-hmm. So we end up with a lot of false uh, results because of that.
0: Go back to something you said that was interesting about mystery. We can't stand mystery? Is that what you mean?
5: Yeah, mystery is, mystery is about, right, the unknown and um, not knowing answers. You know the whole Rilke poem. You know, live in the with the questions, not the answers. And um, so the mystery is, I don't, I don't know who this boy is. I don't know if he took it or not. Um, I don't know what happened to my axe. You know, little elves could have taken them. I don't. Right? Who knows what happened to the axe? But we have a hard time in this culture, being with the unknown.
0: It seems like it's a, it's a human problem because something else you reminded me of is organizations that are somewhat secretive like Masons or a certain sects of Jews or whatever, uh-huh. man, the conspiracy theories just fly. And I, w- I always wonder why, why is it, and why do I uh, like want to read them? I'm like, ooh, what, 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 what is really going on behind those <laughs> doors? You know, <laughs> We're obsessive knowing what we don't know.
5: Yes, that's true, and I think also you're bringing up another point, which is a lot of people know that there are institutions and organizations, governmental groups, that people who have control over what we do and what we get uh, in contact with and what information we have, we don't know everything. And we've actually had in the last 10 years so much information about what we don't know that's not helpful for us, you know? And so I think a little conspiracy theory is a good yeah. idea. Is a good idea. Not, but not to be... Have consi- let me change that. I think it's really important to be discerning and ask questions and really uh, listen... Um, So that's healthy. I do think that's really healthy and not to assume.
0: Next quote. Yang Ju stayed for a night at an inn where the innkeeper had two wives. One was beautiful but was despised. The other was ugly but admired. When Yang Ju asked why this was, the answer was given, the beautiful one regards herself beautiful but we really don't know what makes her beautiful. And the ugly one considers herself ugly, yet we cannot find any deficit in her. Yang Ju later told his disciples, Do good, but do not consider yourselves virtuous, and you will be loved by everyone.
6: Well, I think that if you consider yourself so good, that you probably wouldn't. wouldn't That's where the pride thing comes right. in. Right.
0: I'm sure we all know people who do good actions, but nobody likes them.
6: Yeah, I've had this conversation a lot with my husband about how every good thing that you do is selfish. And he's like, every single thing you do is all selfishly motivated. And I'm like, really? Like everything? And he's like, yeah, everything. Because you want to feel like you're doing good for somebody else. It makes you feel good right. about yourself. And so.
0: Do you agree with your husband?
6: I mean, it's hard to find where he's not right in Mm -hmm. that. Like, I will think about it a lot, like where I want to write and encourage somebody or, like, call somebody Mm -hmm. up and do something good, and then I think, what's my motivation here? Yeah, I really do want to make them feel good, but will it make me feel good? Will they think that I'm Mm -hmm. good? You know, like, I have to really Mm dig deep into it, and I do find ugly (laughs) there sometimes, like, ew! You know, like, I wanted to just do something simply good. Yeah,
0: I think it's almost... If someone's asking me to do something that I don't want to do, and I do it anyway, I mean, obviously, I don't want to be seen as selfish, so I guess I still have the motivation. Yeah.
6: And I do think that he's right about that, mm-hmm. for the most part.
0: Because even this, at the end, is saying, like, if you want to be loved by everyone...
6: Exactly. Yeah, doing good is, is selfish. It's still so <laughs> selfish. Yeah.
0: But, but, but also, not doing good is, I guess, also selfish, in a yeah. way.
6: I think that... You know, we're flawed people, but um, if somewhere in your heart you just delight in a making someone else feel good or doing good things, then maybe that overrides mm-hmm. the selfish factor.
0: Sometimes I, when I think about this, I also think about I.N. Rand. She was big about trying to just kind of also calling bullcrap on what we consider to be compassionate. And she would argue that about self interest. Like, it is in our self-interest to help other people. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But just call it like it is. Don't mm-hmm. say you're being compassionate. Just, you're like, you're somehow a completely altruistic. Right. You're not. You know, you're getting something out of it. And that's fine. Yeah. You know, like in business, it's in your best interest to uh, treat another, like a business associate or, or somebody, your customer, fairly because mm-hmm. they're going to bring you more business. It's It's not in your self-interest to cheat them. Right. You think it is.
6: So I guess that you have to weigh your motivation mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe there's like a, yeah. a scale of selfish factor to the delight in doing good things. Yes. <laughs> like
0: Again. Yang Ju stayed for a night at an inn, where the innkeeper had two wives. One was beautiful, but was despised. The other was ugly, but admired. When Yang Ju asked why this was, the answer was given, The beautiful one regards herself beautiful, but we really don't know what makes her beautiful, and the ugly one considers herself ugly, yet we cannot find any deficit in her. Yang Ju later told his disciples, Do good, but do not consider yourselves virtuous, and you will be loved by everyone.
7: If you're doing good things to another people, you don't want to show off. When you show off, you become an ugly person. It's a bragging yourself. You think you're higher than another person. When you do good things for another people, if you have a gentle heart, you're always, always low-key. You don't want people to know it.
0: Let me ask you this. Have you ever had an incident where someone judged you? They said they think that you're very selfish, maybe they think you keep all your money, or, but they don't know that you really do try to help people
7: I do I do believe or not uh, I've been in that situation just a few months ago one after the relative I think I'm the one your husband's relative yeah think I'm the one like uh, show off like uh, I want to show people what I have I never that way I want to do the, use the money spend reasonable helping people. I feel like I'm not that kind of people. How can I tell her I'm not, I do the good things, spend money for here? For
0: people listening, you you have a non-profit center where you help people learn, especially immigrants. So, people don't know you don't make any money at this. No. You lose money.
7: That's a 100% non-profit Yeah. (laughs) Uh
0: So, when this uh, relative of yours accused you of being selfish and flashy. Yeah. How did you defend yourself, or did you?
7: I just keep silent. She didn't in front of me talk, she talked to other people. Mm-hmm. And other people talked to me, I said, well, I don't want to hear that. Right. So I just ignore it. She will understand later, you know, what kind of person I am. Sometimes I, I have to say I understand, We from different culture, they're American, I'm Chinese. You know that we have a limited vocabulary. When we're talking, we're talking more directly sometimes hurt people. Like for American talking, they like sugar coating most things. <laughs> yeah. Like if I say, I don't like you, I will say, I don't like you. I don't like you. You guys maybe say, well, he's not my favorite, but, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But. <laughs)真的,真的. Yeah, she's good. Uh. She's a good person. Uh. You, know? you know, that's American yeah. talk. And for me, I may do something really hurt this relative feeling. I don't know. I'm not even realized, but I didn't mean that way.
0: Now, you're married yeah. to an American. Has there ever been a problem because you told the truth too much or too blunt?
7: No. Believe it or not, it's uh, make our relationship much simple. Uh-huh. If I don't like it, I tell him not. <laughs> you're not. I never say whatever you say. I never say that. He said no, I don't want to go. Okay, we're not going. You know? If oh, okay. you know, I say that well, I don't like her, well okay, we're not gonna say her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah. make a relationship much easy. Sometimes life you don't want to make it so complicated. When you're sugarcoating everything, make it so everything so fuzzy and you don't want to do that. You wanna make clear. You know, sometimes you don't want to hurt another person's feeling.
0: In your mind is there a difference between being blunt truthful, and being cruel.
7: Of course, cruel, Chinese say, woolly, right? No respect, no love. Whatever you do, you try to hurt other people. Like, uh, for example, if you, I invite you to come to my house, have dinner, and uh, you come late, I may say that, you know, you're late, and <laughs> you ask me, say, I'm sorry I'm late. I say, I will tell you, yeah, you're late. I'm not saying, well, you're not late. I say, yeah, that's fine, not big deal. You know, I'm late sometimes too. Now anymore.
0: if you were to tell the person they were late and be cruel, how would you do that?
7: i say that, What are you doing? Why are you late? <laughs> That's rude as a cruel. Whenever you tell the truth, you try to un- tell the people understand the way you want to tell them the truth. And my husband grew up in Pentecostal church, mm. and a very very straight Christian. But when we go to China, we go to the temple, every temple. Doesn't we go there, we go to visit the history. We can say the people there. And, uh, you know, maybe people thinking, that's stupid people, why they bend on the floor, put a head, the bouncing on the floor? That's a crew. Mm-hmm. And true is, you're not going to use your judgment to judge the people, you respect. Yeah. Yeah. He always said, he said that you don't have to understand, but you have to respect.
0: Again, Yang Ju stayed for a night at an inn, where the innkeeper had two wives. One was beautiful, but was despised. The other was ugly, but admired. When Yang Ju asked why this was, the answer was given, The beautiful one regards herself beautiful, but we really don't know what makes her beautiful. And the ugly one considers herself ugly, yet we cannot find any deficit in her. Yang Ju later told his disciples, Do good, but do not consider yourselves virtuous,
8: and you will be loved by everyone. Uh, I know that... Uh, In my reading, I've read and know this for a fact. Study yourself. Know who you are. But don't study other people before you study yourself. Because you need to know yourself before you try to study other people. Because if you do that, you compare yourself with people and always seem to somehow think more of yourself than what you should. I enjoy studying myself why do I do the things I do why do I eat the things I do or why do I drink the things I drink and then I study my body to see how the body responds or reacts to what I eat or drink and again the saying is the things that I want to do I can't seem to do them but the things I don't want to do those things I do if I determine that I don't want to do something you can mark it that I'm gonna probably do it (laughs) yeah and so what happens is As I discovered, there's personalities, and I don't really give myself to different personalities, but I believe that there's a personality about every individual that if they understand of why it's important to do good or to be good or to try to do the right thing, to choose to do right. For an example, discipline, the word discipline is doing those things that you know are right to do even though you don't feel like doing them. And so I find myself, the story that we were talking about, the outside being beautiful, but the inside is despised, and the outside being ugly, but yet there's something about the person that's just loving, that you want to be around them. And so I find myself, and this this goes back to when I was a kid, I was Amish and went into a public school system, well, the, the Amish were always made fun of, and so... I don't know why. (laughs) <laughs> because they were uneducated yeah. and so I would wear and, suspenders uh-huh. I'd have and I'd have the suspenders sewn onto my pants so I couldn't hide them so but what I would do is to get off the school bus go down to the locker room take my shirt off put my shirt on the outside but I couldn't tuck my shirt in because the suspenders were sewn onto my pants you could see my suspenders through the shirt so it was really like really stupid that mm-hmm. I was doing you know this, but I was doing it to make myself be accepted.
9: Mm-hmm.
8: And so I was the tenth child in my upbringing. There was twelve children, and so my dad was tired by the time I came along. And so basically, my sister raised me. And this is what I did. I dealt with rejection, and I didn't know what the problem <laughs> was uh, until I was fifty years old. And when I found out that rejection had been a problem for me. And this is why I was behaving the way I was and studying myself. My wife finally said, you need to go see a counselor. And I said, what for? I said, I'm normal. What do you want me to go to a counselor for? So finally I went to a counselor to talk to a counselor. And it happened to be a counselor out in Colorado when we lived out there. And so he had a real good reputation because he was focused on the family's medical doctor. I mean, he interviewed me for about, an, uh, just asked me a lot of questions for about an hour. And then after he was done talking to me, he said, Jerry, he said, what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to put you on some medication. Then we'll see in, in about a month how you react to it. And I said, medication, what for? I said, I'm normal. Well, he says, how do you know you're normal? And when he said that, I thought to myself, what is normal? So I said, I mean, is it like you like vanilla ice cream, but you've never tried chocolate ice cream and you really don't know? He said something like that. He said, just try it. He said. What happened is, when you were a child, your brain froze. And I could never understand why I couldn't remember a lot of things about my childhood. Mm. And so he said, when you were young, your brain froze. And so, because of the trauma of the rejection, and I had never realized that my father had never played with me, never held me. I never remembered him holding me, even though he was a very good man. Mm -hmm. Well, I took the medication, and four days later, I had this experience was like, because we used to get blocks of ice, huge blocks of ice. The Iceman used to come around because we didn't have electricity. And so when the the doctor told me about my brain was like a block of ice, Mm -hmm. I had a picture of this. And we would bury it in the straw to keep it from melting. Mm -hmm. Well, the fourth day after I was on this medication, I had this experience of my brain, this ice block just exploding like if there was dynamite in it. The next day, I woke up and I, I started remembering things about my childhood. Wow! And I thought, to which myself, medicine was this? I gotta get me some. <laughs> <laughs> well, right now I'm on Wellbutrin, uh-huh. but uh, uh, Depakote. I think it was on Depakote that uh-huh. time. But what had happened is my chem- the chemicals had not been going to its proper place, and so, hmm. uh, and then when that happened, I started remembering these things. Well, it was so interesting to me that it just caused me to really uh, focus more on being good mm-hmm. and doing the right thing. Not being good, but doing the right thing and choosing to do the right thing. Even though I had some bad behaviors, I would get, I would be short fused or I'd get angry easily. And that was all to do with rejection. Mm-hmm. When I put all these things, these pieces of puzzles to start and putting them together, and then I was pastor at the time. And so my wife used to tell me, she said, Jerry, when you get to the pulpit, it sounds like if you are angry at the sheep, and I, I was because mm-hmm. I was frustrated with him,
9: mm-hmm.
8: even though I had this facade because I was very, I had a lot of charisma, and so I could put on this front, and so, what happened, is that I stepped down from being a pastor. That's when I really pressed into, knowing who I was, and and that's huge. Yeah, I enjoyed being a pastor so much mm-hmm. because I loved the people, but yet I was upset with him. And one time my wife said, when we moved to Colorado, she said, Jerry, why don't you just, not be yeah, a pastor out here, Joe, why don't you just not do this? And I said, Mary Jo, I said, that's my calling. I said, I can't do anything else. I said, this is something I have to do. I said, well, I am. And I got so upset that I hit the wall with my fist. She put up with this. And it really was hard on my wife because pastoral work, if you're not doing the right thing, again, being good, if you don't do things the right way, it, it's also hard on your partner. There was some people who would come to church and they'd say, Jerry, you need to take a break, just sit down. Mm-hmm. One guy said to me, he said, I see you coming out on the hospital bed. I'm going, oh, this guy just wants to be in, in the position of what I have. And so, sure enough, uh, several months later, I ended up in the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I ended up in the hospital, well, I was in the hospital for six days, and that wasn't a heart attack, it was nothing to do with the heart. Mm-hmm. But when I came home, my wife had told the elders not to let me come home. Remove me from the position that I was in. So I was forced. And so they opened up one of the prisoners' home. And so I went into the home and I was there for several months. So my wife and I were separated for probably about four months. And so it gave me lots of time to think about what happened.
0: Maybe you're inadvertently made the example, I know you, uh, I've seen your own children, and you do good, and I know that you want to do good, but here you are admitting that, you know, you're not perfect, and you have problems, and and you don't see yourself as virtuous, so I think that's, there
8: you go. And that's the key thing. Once I think that you know where you've come from, Mm -hmm. then you can really understand that there's nothing good, and there's things in our hearts that we Sometimes can't comprehend until we get into a situation where it's forced to respond or react to it. So it's in us.
0: Again? Yang Ju stayed for a night at an inn, where the innkeeper had two wives. One was beautiful, but was despised. The other was ugly, but admired. When Yang Ju asked why this was, the answer was given, the beautiful one regards herself beautiful, but we really don't know what makes her beautiful, and the ugly one considers herself ugly. Yet we cannot find any deficit in her. Yang Ju later told his disciples, do good, but do not consider yourselves virtuous, and you will be loved by everyone.
10: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also just been the case, especially with girls. Um, and I'm in a unique scenario right now with my schooling because the program is overwhelmingly female. So I am in class every day with 23 other women. And everybody's a good person. Everybody has virtues, everybody has flaws, everybody has, you know... We all know that we're all basically on the same playing field, right? But in a lot of ways it's taken me back, even though I'm in my 30s, it's taken me back to high school and middle school and those feelings of, oh, the popular girls. Because there are girls that I'm in school with that have the cool new handbag and the perfect hair and the great clothes, and they always have like the most cutting remarks. And they're not necessarily nice people at all. But uh, they're regarded as so people still, leaders.
0: Uh, so people are still treating them better, even though they're, they're totally, kind of bigger jerks.
10: Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're physically beautiful and bitches. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then they're selfless people in the program who are less stylish, more focused on interpersonal relationships and, you know, getting good work done rather than yeah. looking really hot. And they don't get voted into, you know, right. student elections kind of things. Can I can I be blunt real quick? Yeah.
0: I, I think that you're not ugly and, and Oh you, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but you're also you're great to be around. How did that happen? So are are you asking
10: me how am I so beautiful and still so nice? Yes. Oh.
0: I mean, you you must have a theory because something made you a kind of person that kind of is empathetic with other people.
10: Childhood pain and trauma. Okay. That'll do it. I'm not of the belief that I have had any great suffering or anything's happened to me that has never happened to anybody else, Mm -hmm. but I felt a lot of loss in childhood Mm -hmm. and a lot of transitory feelings. We moved a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I did never have a good relationship with my dad. My mom was working really hard. And I mean, there was always a lot of love, but you know, I just never really felt, we were poor. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been really looking at, you know, the beautiful rich girls thinking, oh my God, Mm -hmm. if only I could be one of them. And over time, you know, I realized, oh, who wants to be them? I think also, I mean, I had a I had a really abusive stepfather mm-hmm. through high school. And I think probably all periods of development are crucial for development, but there's just something about those pubescent years mm-hmm. when somebody is telling you that you're worthless and you're mm. stupid <laughs> yeah. all the time.
0: Yeah. Um, it's hard not to believe it.
10: It was really hard not to believe it. And it's taken me... 15 years of undoing it um, to realize, oh, you know what? I am competent. I had never believed that before. I thought that, you know, it was a stroke of luck I was able to drive a car mm-hmm. and string together Tire <laughs> shoes. sentences. Yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. <laughs> Look at her. She she made it out of the house today. Let's all clap and make her feel better. <laughs> um, so that was part of it. And I, I, I do see when I'm Privately criticizing the beautiful mm-hmm. ones, I think. Well, they just have never suffered. Mm-hmm. That's why they flail and have a tantrum, you know, For when happy. there are pickles on their hamburger. They didn't want pickles on it. Um, I guess
0: or, you've seen that in your former I, <laughs> job.
10: I have. I've seen that. I've seen. I've seen people just take it so personally when, uh, you know, a hotel can't change their check-in time. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, let me ask you this: You and your husband plan on having children, right? And I, I assume you plan on raising them without verbally abusing them, right?
10: Oh no, I think it makes the best people. Well, that's just <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: what I was you were sli- kind of what I was going to ask. Like, how do no. you how do you raise a kid mm-hmm. that is confident, you know, and and not a, a, just a big jerk? Right. You know,
10: where where is that? Mm. Where is that beautiful middle ground? Mm. Um, because. I do think that kids, that get constantly praised and, you know, a trophy for every game Mm, that they
9: play and,
10: you know, clap, clap, clap and, you know, have a graduation with a cap and gown after kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. Do they do that now? Probably. I feel like I see a lot of those photos. (laughs) It just kind of takes the shine off the real accomplishments. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? I think you just got to be like medium tough. I actually think chores are probably the answer even if you could afford, you know, a full-time housekeeper and a chef, I think it would still be good to make those, those kids that have housekeepers and chefs, I think they really need to know how to do dishes.
0: It's funny you should say that because I work at a toy store like one day a week and Mm. it's in a very affluent area and when I meet a child that's very polite and uh, looks you in the eye and, and doesn't treat you like you're just a staff person. I'll ask them a few questions without sounding creepy, you know, like, what's your address and, you know, what time your parents go to work? <laughs> no, but... <I'll,
10: laughs> what do your shoes smell like, little boy?
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I'll ask them, I'll say, are you, you going to buy something today? And, and they'll say yes, or and I said, where did you get the money? Almost always the polite ones say, I do chores. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great that even in a, a neighborhood that's very wealthy... That still kind of had their head on straight. That maybe remember what it was like, and had their kids, you know, doing work around the house, or
10: right, a work ethic. It's one of the best things that you can instill in a kid.
0: Mm-hmm.
10: It's a, just a solid work reward ethic.
0: Right. Some don't agree. Some say it's like child slavery, or
10: you don't have to put Junior in a sweatshop in order to.
0: Well. You know. <laughs> yeah, but he's not going to get anything done unless like you do. <laughs> have you seen the yeah. roofing on my house? <laughs> we tried to go easy on the kid. <laughs>
10: No lunch break! You'll just get dinner! Yeah. Shut up! Quit crying! Quit
0: trying to form your own union. (laughs)
10: Yes. (laughs) But yeah, go back to the beautiful wife and the ugly wife. Mm -hmm. Without hearing the rest of the story, I'm I'm willing to wager that the beautiful one wasn't as hard of a worker. She was probably coasting around on her own merits. And those are the people that get sour as they age.
0: Yes. They don't age well, that's true. No, they
10: don't age well because they're feeling sorry for themselves every single second.
0: last quote. One man had a withered tree in his yard, and his neighbor told him, it's unlucky to keep a withered tree on your property. The owner of the dying tree cut it down, to which the neighbor immediately asked for some of the wood to use as fuel. The tree's owner instantly realized why his neighbor had told him what he told him.
1: Was the tree dying or not? That's really the question. I I guess a good neighbor would be like, look, your tree is not dead, it is dying right? And as someone who's grown trees from saplings, I can tell you there is a difference. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a good neighbor would, would be like, you know, you really need to uh, give, give that tree some nutrients and, and check out what it is that's causing the problems here. Get the defibrillator out and just, you know, don't do that to a tree. It's <laughs> not going to help.
0: Again? One man had a withered tree in his yard, and his neighbor told him, It's unlucky to keep a withered tree on your property. The owner of the dying tree cut it down, to which the neighbor immediately asked for some of the wood to use as fuel. The tree's owner instantly realized why his neighbor had told him what he told him.
11: I think there are always those people in in the world that have a motive and have um, a hidden agenda. I think you have to try to figure out a way not to be upset by it. And when you realize that they've worked their agenda and you may have fallen victim to it, try to learn from it.
0: Can you give an example of last time you were manipulated?
11: I don't, I don't think I let myself be manipulated. I think the only time I really feel manipulated is because I have a lot of skills that people like to use. And sometimes I feel like people Pump me for, well, what can you really do? What can you do? You can write this, you can edit this, you can design this, uh-huh. you can take pictures, you can do this, and, you know, it's almost like they want that my dossier, they want to know, what all can you do? That's and, a
0: thing in cities, I've noticed. Yeah,
11: and then it turns around to, well, can you do this for me as a favor? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I need a brochure by tomorrow, or I need, um, can you write up this and submit it as a press release for
0: me. Now that I know you do all those things. Yeah. And I say, hey, yo, I need this done. Um, I'm willing to pay though. Does that make a difference? Yeah.
11: I mean, you wouldn't ask a plumber to come to your house and fix it for free. Why would you ask a writer to write up your press release for free or a photographer to take your headshot for free? To me, that's the same thing. It's a skill. It's a talent. You can't do it yourself. That's why you're asking me. Right. I, I see creative people get manipulated a lot in that way because, like, I can see the wheels turning sometimes with people. It's like, oh, Jill can do all this it's stuff. Not,
0: yeah, it's something about the creative world is not taken seriously yeah, you know, for some reason.
11: And I think that's always been that case.
0: Yeah. Again? One man had a withered tree in his yard, and his neighbor told him, It's unlucky to keep a withered tree on your property. The owner of the dying tree cut it down, to which the neighbor immediately asked for some of the wood to use as fuel. The tree's owner instantly realized why his neighbor had told him what he told him.
10: If, say, I like that tree, and they told me to cut it down because it's bad luck, so I believe them, and then they wanted to use it just for their firewood.
0: Mm-hmm. What would you tell that person?
10: I'm mad at you. <laughs> like why do you do that? Mm -hmm. It's not like nice. Do
0: you have a tree at all at home? Yes.
10: I have lemon and orange trees.
0: Okay. Do you take care of them?
10: Yes, I water them.
0: Can you climb them or are they too small?
10: The tree has thorns on them. Oh really? They actually pop my volleyball. (gasps) Me and my little brother were playing. We bunked it into the tree and all these thorns got in it and then Eventually, it just popped because it was in the tree so much.
0: Is the volleyball bigger than the oranges? Yeah. Oh, well, that's why the tree killed your volleyball. It was jealous.
10: Yeah.
6: <laughs> Did they find out if the tree was really dying or not or bad?
0: I think it really was dying, but.
6: Well, then what's the problem? I, I attribute this to my tree over here. Okay. It's about 100 years old and everybody loves it, thinks it's beautiful, but I know that it's trashed three cars because the limbs fall down on it. So I would get other benefit out of it, but nobody wants to take it down because it's 100 years old. Right. But it's ugly and it's rotted.
0: Is it producing leaves anymore?
6: Some, some of them, yeah, but some right. of them don't, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's like some people see it and they're like,
0: it still has life. Yeah. And it's still clinging on.
6: Yeah, and NES has come out several times because they, they have to come out and trim it and they're like willing to take it down, but, you Is,
0: know. This, has somebody actually like chained themselves to the tree?
6: The previous business uh-huh. had a hold your hands, because they were gonna take it down. They had a hold your hands thing around it. Yeah, <laughs> they stopped it from happening. If it's not a bad tree, then I would be upset.
0: One man had a withered tree in his yard, and his neighbor told him, It's unlucky to keep a withered tree on your property. The owner of the dying tree cut it down, to which the neighbor immediately asked for some of the wood to use as fuel. The tree's owner instantly realized why his neighbor had told him what he told him. There's underlying intent in almost everything. You know, it's
1: uh, whether whether or not you're even aware of it a lot of times, it kind of seeps in.
9: Mm-hmm.
1: Um whether it be for the good or, or not. As much as I hate to say it, it sounds callous, but I just, in my heart of hearts, I can't think that, uh, you know, even if you were to go to a soup kitchen mm-hmm. and have no other motive than to do it to make the suffering of somebody else less, you're probably reacting on some level of having a negative worldview because the world is as it is and somebody's seeing injustice to where they have to go to a soup kitchen, so you're Even as in the truest intents, you're trying to make the world a better place to
0: make it a better place for you to live in. And the source of all these quotes, or stories, they're all attributed to the ancient Chinese Taoist sage, Tzu. Many of the stories in the book, bearing the Wise Man's Name, were from various traditions and time periods, but all were used to illustrate the concepts of modesty, Avoiding fame and fortune, and unforceful interaction with nature and other humans. Of the man himself, little is known of Liatze, except he is to have lived during the Warring States period, which was a couple or so hundred years before the Common Era, studied under a handful of Taoist masters, and ultimately lived and died as an unknown. If you'd like more stories or conundrums like this, you might check out our podcast series, The Tao of Tao. Just look down the list of past episodes, and you should find them peppered about. In the corner, Back by the Wood Pile Podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spungcounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at counter Guy. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes Store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to the Brofisticate.com.